Hi everyone, welcome to the Cloud Architect podcast, a podcast about cloud technology and the people using it. Welcome everyone, Nicholas Blank here with my co-host Warren Dutoy. Hello again. For more information on this podcast as well as other shows, browse to our website, thearchitects.cloud. This podcast is brought to you by Kemp Technologies. We chose Kemp as a sponsor based on their amazing product line for the cloud, which includes the Kemp Loadmaster appliance in the Microsoft Azure Marketplace, as well as Kemp 360 family. For more information, go to kemptechnologies.com. This podcast is brought to you by NB Consult. NB Consult is a consultancy based in South Africa, the United Kingdom, and Hong Kong. In today's episode, Warren and I are speaking to Mary Jo Foley. Mary Jo Foley has covered the tech industry for 30 years for a variety of publications, including ZDNet, eWeek, and Baseline. She's the author of Microsoft 2.0, How Microsoft Plans to Stay Relevant in the Post-Gates Era. She's also the co-host of the Windows Weekly podcast on the Twit Networks and blogs primarily on allaboutmicrosoft.com. Mary Jo, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So we are really, really excited about having you on the show, and we want to get as much human out of you today as possible (laughs) and get your opinions on what you've arguably built a career out of, which is covering Microsoft. Mm -hmm. Okay. I'm ready to be grilled. I'm ready. And then I I have to throw something in there as well. Go on. the The whole Steve Jobs bit. I'm a, hu- I'm a huge Apple fan, and mm-hmm. I want to know what it was like to tell Steve Jobs to wait. <laughs> <laughs> Move over. I'm talking to Bill Gates. Please. <laughs> <laughs> that, I mean, I picked that up, and I'm really, really keen to see how that felt. <laughs> and just for your information, Warren is so dedicated that he has an Apple II. Wow. Well, uh, there's, a Microsoft, there's a Microsoft logo there as well, uh, along with Tux. The, the, the penguin mascot because I'm you're, passionate about it. You're an equal opportunity computer. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly it, yes, 100%. X86. <laughs> so Mary Jo, I want to ask you about journalism and how did you get into journalism and why journalism and then why Microsoft okay. or why tech? Okay. So what's kind of interesting about me getting into tech was it was a huge accident to be honest. I um, majored in journalism in college. And when I graduated, I applied for jobs like any good young journalist does. And I only got two offers. Um, One of them was for Condé Nast Travel Magazine. And the other was for a new startup magazine in the Boston area called Electronic Business. And because the job with Electronic Business paid $1,000 a year more, I took it. Wow. Um, and I warned them, I knew nothing about technology. I'm like, I, I don't know anything. Like you're gonna have to train me from the very beginning. And they said, as long as you have journalism skills, we can train you. So that is actually how I got into it. Um, I always knew I wanted to be a journalist, but you know, I think when you, when you have that as a career aspiration, you kind of think big picture, like I want to be Woodward and Bernstein, you know, I want to do Pulitzer Prize journalism. And as my career kind of evolved, I was like, you know what? The better thing is to find something you're really interested in and really focus on that. And it doesn't have to be politics and it doesn't have to be, I'm going to Iraq and like covering the war. There are a lot of other things you can specialize in and still have a really interesting 
and exciting career. And then the, the why Microsoft? So um, that also was kind of an accident too, believe it or not. Um, one of the very first stories I was assigned um, as a journalist at Electronic Business was to cover a new uh, company getting into the computing space. And so I went to the library because the internet didn't exist then, looked up some things about different companies, and I came back to my editor and said, I want to write about this new startup, Microsoft. Have you ever heard of them? And they said, no. And so I said, I think I could write a really good story about them, like who they are and how they're going to be a big player in the, in the business. And this was in 1984. Uh, wow. So my boss said, okay, I have no idea who they are, but go ahead. And so I called Microsoft, picked up the phone, called Microsoft, asked to speak to somebody who did PR. I got Pam Edstrom. If you know anything about the history of Microsoft, she's the Edstrom and Wagner and Edstrom, which became their big PR firm. And she, wow. she took me by the hand and basically taught me who was who and what was what. She made me fly to Comdex. Um, I had no idea what yes. Comdex was. <laughs> and wow. had me sit down with Bill Gates and all the top people on the Microsoft board. And she told me before each person, like, here's so-and-so. Okay, here's what they do. Interview them. Here's so-and-so. Interview them. And um, so you're... you're Warren, your your allusion to my meeting with Steve Jobs happened at that very time. Uh, when wow. I was at Comdex, I was sitting on the show floor. I still remember this. And I was interviewing Bill Gates for the first time. And OK, picture me. I'm, you know, young, 20 something, knows nothing about technology, trying to interview Bill Gates. Right. Um, I, ha I was trying to keep his attention because he was looking around as people were walking by. And one of the people who came up. Um, engaged him and started talking to him and Bill stood up and they're talking and talking and talking and I was like oh looking at my watch like yikes I only have 30 minutes so I just tapped the guy on the leg and I said hey could you come back later I'm, I'm like trying to do an interview <laughs> with Bill Gates and he laughed and he's like okay and he walked off and so Bill Gates said to me oh nice you know who that was right and I'm like no and he said that was Steve Jobs and I'm like oh he goes you don't know who that is right no <laughs> <laughs> and so luckily i still got to keep my job after that that was kind of a, an inauspicious beginning but yeah i so wow. that's kind of how i got into covering microsoft and how i got to specialize in technology kind of a happy marriage of accidents what did you see in microsoft as a startup that made you want to cover them um so when i got hired by electronic business my first job they had me starting out by covering components. So the very first mm -hmm. article I wrote under my own byline was about beryllium copper wire. Wow. Yeah, a whole article about it. And I was like, okay, capacitors, resistors, sure, that's, that's okay, but like there must be something a little more interesting and cool and exciting. So when I interviewed him and, it, you know, got to talk about software, which, by the way, I had no idea what software was, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I couldn't tell him that. Like, oh, yeah, by the way, what is software, right? Um, yeah. Uh, but I, I was like, you know what? This is way more interesting. Like, this seems to me like something that's going to be big. Like, this is, seems like the more cool part of the business more than the component side. And so I just kind of had this idea that, I don't know, this, this seems where the action is going to be more than in, you know, the hardware, so I, I kind of specialized in software and development tools after that point because I just thought that seemed more interesting. This may 
be a perceived failure, but let's just um, let's just maybe not treat it as the the largest failure. What failures in your career turned into successes besides <laughs> blowing off Steve Jobs? <laughs> <laughs> well, in a way, um, just the failure to get that job back at Condé Nast turned into a success for me because I really did not know what I wanted to do. And um, I all I knew was I liked writing and I liked interviewing people and I didn't really have any mm-hmm. other ideas. So in a way, even that initial failure to get that other job was a success. Although now mm-hmm, I look mm-hmm. back and I'm like, wow, what if I did work for the travel magazine? Like think of all the cool places I could have gone instead of Las Vegas. Um, but anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yes, but that's, that, that would have sacrificed something else, which I've got a whole <laughs> raft of questions on later, which is the brand you have today. Yeah, yeah, it's true. I know. How, how much of a brand could I have developed as a travel writer? I don't know. You know, um, the, another one is just co- coming to cover Microsoft. So, you know, after that initial time when I first interviewed Bill Gates, I I really was interested in Microsoft. But then, uh, like for the next several years in my career, I didn't specialize in Microsoft. I did a lot of other things. Like I covered Unix for two or three years, just Unix, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which was very interesting, actually, when Sun Microsystems was a big deal. And like there were all these Sun um kind of spin-offs and partners and clones and it was it was an interesting time to cover unix back back in the yeah. um or late mid 80s uh, i covered databases i covered a lot of other things and people don't understand how how important that stuff was and how important it is now today i know you know unix unix is the foundation for most of the stuff that's out there exactly now. I know. And, and it's, it was another kind of happy accident for me, right, that I covered Unix. Like, I remember when I got hired, I got hired by a Unix magazine called Sun Expert. And um, they're like, do you know what Unix is? I'm like, no. They're like, okay, so <laughs> let's start from there. <laughs> um, but, it, you know, that was, that was also a good thing that happened just kind of by accident randomly. But, but ending up covering Microsoft even was an accident for me. Um, at the time, I had been hired by PC Week, which was one of the big um, computer mags back in the day. Mm-hmm. To, I, and they hired me to cover Unix because they, they said, you really know Unix. Let's do you for Unix. And then they had a Microsoft reporter who quit. Um, and they were like, okay, who's going to be the new Microsoft reporter? And nobody wanted to be it because it was a hard job, like super intense. This was like early 90s when Microsoft was really taking off. And so yeah. w- one day one of the editors came to me and he said, you know what? You're going to be the Microsoft reporter. And I'm like, why? And he said, because NT is a lot like Unix. And that's all. We're just yes. leaving it there. And I'm like, yes. 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 Okay, so for me, I felt like it was a failure because I was like, oh, I kind of like covering Unix and I like covering databases. And then it's like, oh, I guess I'm going to cover Microsoft. But wow. luckily, that's what I ended up covering. Yeah. So since then, wow. like in the, turned out right. in the early 90s, my boss moved me to Seattle. He's like, you ever been to Seattle? No. Okay, you're moving to Seattle. Um, I, so I just moved there without knowing it. And he's like, you're going to cover Microsoft. Okay, there you go. You're moving to Seattle, covering Microsoft. <laughs> And so I, at the time, I was like, wow, I, I was living in California. I was like, oh, hmm, this kind of feels like a demotion, you know. But in the end, it ended yeah. up being great for me and for my career and brand. Um, but it felt at the time like a failure. So I'd say, I'd say, you know, sometimes things you think at the time are failures might actually be your success. And then I think to dovetail off that one, um, more like the, the big bets did you take? 
you know, what sort of risks did you take that paid off? I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, so that, so moving to Seattle, for instance, I mean, could you have said no? Um, would you have said no? Um, you know, when it comes to taking risks and which ones did you take yeah. that uh, sort of, you know, uh, helped? And then obviously going, going into that, your career advice. Yeah. Anyone wanting to be a reporter, anybody wanting to cover Microsoft, what should they say? What shouldn't they say? How do you how do you deal with 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 the the rivalry between the brands? Mm-hmm. I mean, because essentially you get seen you get seen now as somebody who covers Microsoft, mm-hmm. but you you obviously you had um, a bit of an interest, uh, could I say, in Unix, mm-hmm. and clearly they were two ends of the spectrum. Right. So nowadays, nowadays, if you said, okay, well, is, are you an Apple or are you a Microsoft fan? Mm-hmm. Or do you use them for specific purposes? What happens if you write something cool about Apple? Does somebody immediately go, oh? <laughs> yeah. Um, so, man, there's a lot of questions packed into that one. Sorry. Um, that's okay. Um, so on, on the big bets, yeah, moving to Seattle was a big bet that I took and was kind of risky for me because I didn't know, I did not know a single person there. Um, and I realized as, as I um, started living there, I ended up living there for like eight years. And um, when I, I started realizing like, oh, I'm never really going to make friends here either because everybody who knows me here thinks I'm a spy, which as a reporter, you kind of are in a way, right? Oh, for sure. <laughs> So, you know, I'd get invited to like brunches at people's house who worked at Microsoft and people would walk in and see me and just walk out. Um, like people would be like, if Mary Jo's coming, I'm not coming to the birthday party. Wow. And I know. So Gosh. I was like, oh, this is going to get like not too fun. I mean, I get why they're doing that, but it's also kind of weird, right? <laughs> so, but, you know, in the end, I think it was a bet that was worth taking um, just because the best way to really learn a company is to be in their backyard and get to know people and you're you're right where the action is so i'm not i'm not sad i did it but um it wasn't as easy as as some people think it might be i think Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. another big bet i took uh that now i look back and i can't believe i did it and i'm glad i did it but it was really impossibly hard while i was doing it was writing a book um i never wanted to write a book in fact, people had approached me before and said, hey, would you write a book? And I kept saying, no, you know what? I don't want to write a book. I, I like doing online journalism and magazine journalism, and I don't really want to write a book. And finally, when uh, Wiley approached me, and they kept at me, and they kept at me, and they kept at me, and finally I'm like, okay, fine, I'm going to write the book. I'm going to write about Microsoft 2.0, right? And so I, a lot of people, when they write b- books like that, they quit their job for a year or two years, and they do all the work. And they just focus on the book. But I, I couldn't afford to do that. So I was still doing my regular job and doing the book um, nights and weekends and where whenever I could squeeze in time. And it was it was just too much because it was like I was covering Microsoft all day for my day job, then doing this at night and working on the book, getting source material for the book and talking to people, interviewing people. I was dreaming about Microsoft. I mean, I'd wake up in cold sweats like after a conversation I had in my dream with Ray Ozzie. You know, I'm like, okay, I I need a vacation from this. It's too much, (laughs) too much Microsoft. (laughs) But, you know, in the end, I'm glad I did it because it feels like, okay, now I know what it feels like to do a book. um, And I realized Mm. all the work that goes into a book. And it it did help me kind of launch a speaking career, too, by doing the book. Something else that I really never ever wanted to do I was so petrified of public speaking and, and when I started getting asked to speak I'm like I can't do this nope nope yeah 
nope. <laughs> but I, but after I did it a couple times, I'm like, you know what? What am I afraid of? Like, mm. okay, people are going to ask me something I might not know the answer, right? But there's no problem with that. You just say, I don't know, right? <laughs> and and I realized like there were things I did have to say that people found of value. So um, to me, doing that the first few times especially felt like a big bet. And even now, like when I just last year, I spoke at the Microsoft Partner Conference. And every time I, I get really excited about doing it, I'm like, oh, I have some really good stuff to say. And then right, you know, when you go up there on the stage, you're like, uh, what am I doing up here? I'm a fraud, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, and that's a big stage, hey? It is. It is. And you're like, what am I talking to these partners about? They know all, everything about Microsoft. Like, who am I telling them something, you know? So it was a big bet to try to learn how to do that and try to do it well. And I don't think I'm a great speaker. When I see some of the like MVPs who give talks, I'm like, oh, that's a that's somebody who knows how to speak, right? But mm. just just the to the extent that I do get to do it and practice that skill, I think it, it was a bet and a scary bet that I took, but a bet that paid off. Um, those are those are a few of the big bet kinds of things. Um, and the other question you asked was about kind of like an access question, right? Like it was. if you if you write something bad or get off off message, like can I ever write something that's not about Microsoft, right? <laughs> well, or, or yeah, hundred percent, or at least you know something that's uh, op opposition to Microsoft. I right. Mean, you know, I think I think, and this will probably we'll get to this a little bit later. The way Satya has sort of changed things from the outside and you can see that Microsoft being the number one open source contributor on the planet now sort of mm -hmm. changes that for us yeah but essentially yeah I mean how, writing about Microsoft now and writing about it back then I'm sure it's a little different yeah it's definitely different um you know I, ca I can and do occasionally write about things that are not Microsoft especially if there's some reason um that I'm writing about them like for ex for example I I was a Windows Phone user for quite a few years, and then a couple of years ago, I was like, I can't take it anymore, guys. It's like, they're killing the platform. I can't do it. So I, I pain. Yeah, I switched to Android, and I wrote an article about why. And yes. the mail I got was so vile. It was like, yeah. I was just like, yeah. wait a minute, what? <laughs> you attacked the Pope. I know. <laughs> I'm like, wait, like, you know, I would have stayed with Windows Phone if they were going to continue with the platform, but they're not. And... Yes. <laughs> um, People were like, you shouldn't even be allowed to write about Microsoft. They should cut off your access. And like, you, who are you? Like, what are you going to do? Do all about Android now? And I'm like, wait, hold on. <laughs> I was like, oh, God. And, and the, the kind of the icing on the cake was one, one, I guess it was like six weeks or so after I wrote my uh, blog post about that, I saw Satya Nadella in the New York office. He was in the lobby of the building and I was going in for a meeting. And so he saw me and I'm like, I wonder if he's going to say anything to me. So he came running over and he goes, hey, I saw you switch to an Android phone. <laughs> and I'm like, yep. <laughs> and he's like, can I see your home screen? And I'm like, uh, no. OK. So I showed him my home screen and he goes, you know, what? I just wanted to see if you had Microsoft apps installed. And you do. So that's good. How do you like it? Oh, do you well think done. it's good? <laughs> that's great. That's probably the reason they wrote a launcher because they've got yeah, a Microsoft I know, right? launcher. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know. So it's like one of those things you're like, okay, guys, like I'm, I'm going to be honest about what I do and don't use. Like, for example, I also, I use Windows 10, um, but I also still use Windows 7 on my main desktop. And every time I mention that in a tweet or I say it on Windows Weekly, people go 
crazy. They're like, you shouldn't be allowed to write about Microsoft. You're using the old stuff. I'm like, guys, it's supported till 2020. Half the planet <laughs> is still using Windows 7. <laughs> That's yeah. right, they are. It's the same and as I, XP. I XP know. was around for, for, for yonks. Yeah, I'm like, so... So, like, I'm not just going to be all Microsoft fangirl all the time, you know? Like, when they do good stuff, I try to say that. And when they don't, I try to say that, too. And I think that's what keeps things honest. You, you can't just always say everything they're doing is great. I mean, there are people who do that in our profession, and they're not seen as, as very um, honest. So, yeah, there's a tweet I, I, you, you know... There's a tweet that you did, sorry, on... Uh, the 19th of January about the new, the new Nintendo, for the new Nintendo, which I found was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> we spent hundreds of millions of dollars on a camera so you can use your body to play games. This is Microsoft saying this. Yeah. So Nintendo then says, hold my beer. Yep. <laughs> I know. And people are like, oh, you just hate Xbox. I'm like, I don't hate Xbox. <laughs> I'm like, but guys, like, let's be realistic. Connect was a failure. And yeah, yes. here comes everybody else with these little pieces of cardboard that are better. Okay. Mm, mm, there we go. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And, so. you know, so uh, uh, people always say, so if you write that kind of thing or tweet that kind of thing, do you lose your access to Microsoft? Yes. And um, I don't. Um, and the reason I don't is, <laughs> I mean, there are some teams that are more sensitive than others at Microsoft. And some, they'll be like, I saw what you tweeted. You're never getting an interview with so-and-so, you know? Okay. Mm -hmm, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like mostly the company knows their own mistakes and missteps. And if you state them and you just state them kind of plainly, I feel like they're like, yeah, you're right. Okay. Um, yeah, we did. We screwed up. So in the, in the prior years at, of covering Microsoft, that wasn't the case. Like if you, if you were negative about uh, many things or even sometimes any one thing, your access would be cut off. And mm. I had that happen to me a couple times. And one time I knew because Microsoft would keep these dossiers on reporters. Um, everybody wow. had one. And one day, Microsoft accidentally forwarded my dossier to somebody whose name was began with the letter G, right below F. And so he forwarded it to me. He said, hey, I thought you might want to see this. And it was like everything I had written with like comments next to it, like, oh, so since she said this, she's never getting blah, or she wow. did this, so forget wow. that interview that we promised her, right? And I'm like, wow, okay, very vindictive. <laughs> wow. Um, yeah, but you know what? If you're if you're good at your job, and uh, you know, once you've done it a long time, you have a lot of contacts at a lot of sources. Um, if they cut you off, you still can get information. People will still help you. And um, that's what I kind of learned. Um, I, and I, it made me not afraid anymore because I'm like, okay, even if they say, you can never interview this person for 20 years or whatever, I still can get information, mm -hmm. you know? So is, you are a spy. Your... Sorry, you worried? I said, so she is a spy. <laughs> 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 is that your brand, Mary Jo? Is, is that you are honest? And is that something as a brand so this is a two-part question that you maintain consciously about your brand or do you just let your brand happen as you do life mm. so it's funny i don't think about myself as a brand um i get i get that i am one in the microsoft world you know because i've just done this so long a lot of people know me now um but i do try to i do try to make it that i'm honest and you know, I know some Microsoft reporters who 
everything they write about Microsoft is negative. They never say anything good about Microsoft. Mm. Then I know other people, they only say good things even when the bad things are happening. So I'm like, you know what? Mm -hmm. There is a happy medium. And I think readers appreciate when you're just trying to be, you know, kind of along the middle here. It's like when they do mm. something good, I will say it, you know. I'll be like, you know what? That was good that they did that. I like that they're a contributor to open source. I think that's awesome. Mm -hmm. And I think it sh they should have been doing it a long time ago. Um, but, you know, politics, the time, the place, all that, we're playing into the into the situation. Um, so I, I do try to be honest. And I think if you said to me, what, what would I like to be most known for? I would say honesty. Um, I, I think even some people at Microsoft have said, you know what? The one thing everybody says about you is you're fair. And mm. They don't like what you say all the time, but they always say, at least she is fair. She always calls us for a comment. She tries to get our side of the story. Um, mm -hmm. She doesn't just go out, you know, they're doing this. And then, oh, no, they're not. Okay. You know, um, so I, I, I like that. I think that's a good thing to stand for. Wow. Okay. So you are a, a public person. And with that, of course, as a normal human being, you've got a, a private side to your life. And mm -hmm. some of that leaks out sometimes as you, you speak and you on podcasts and you're talking about what have you done over the weekend? And mm -hmm. obviously you've, you've got a love for beer. You've got family <laughs> around the country. But then that family has got nothing to do with your, your public side. Right. Where, as a public person, do you draw the line about what you decide to share as part of your public role? You know, so this is, this is interesting because different people have different um, kind of takes and theories on this. If you listen to Windows Weekly, you know, you know a lot about Leo and Paul, right? Yeah. They share a lot about their life, about their families, their kids, their, you know, when they got married, their, what their house looks like. And I just am a, a more of a private person, I think especially because of being a woman in tech. I feel mm. like you have to have somewhat more of a barrier because just because of the way the world is, you know, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I've had some weird things happen to me in New York. I, I mean, New York's a giant city, but I still yeah. get recognized randomly here. And really? it always kind of freaks me out when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> like one day I was in the, as I was walking down the street in New York, like I was, I was like somewhere around the Flatiron building and I'm just walking and I'm noticing there's a guy like keeping walk, walking in pace with me. And then he just says to me, so what do you think of Visual Studio 2016? And I no. like, I get him, I'm like, excuse me? And he goes, you're Mary Jo, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yep. And so then he kept walking with me and talking to me. I was like, okay. And then he's like, so where are you going right now? And I'm like, oh, oh. Um, I'm like, I'm actually going to visit a friend in an office. And I just went into an office building and I'm like, that was weird. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, it's, it's just, it's those kind of things. Like people who know me, you know, I always talk about my local bar where I go all the time and people come in and find me there and I don't mind that. No. Um, but now the bartenders know if somebody comes in looking for me, they'll come over to my table and they'll say, there's somebody here looking for you. Go over, look over there. Do you want to, do you want me to tell them where you're sitting or not? Oh, well done. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not like I'm a star or something, but it's, I feel like you just, you have to be a little bit careful, right? And mm. I don't want to drag my family into this either. Like, I, I mean, I have family who live in Seattle still too. And I'm like, you know, I don't want people harassing them mm. um, just because they know they're my sibling. In fact, one of my siblings who lives in Seattle, um, she looks a lot like me. And she says, people yell out your name to me all the time when I'm out. 
she, wow. she's like, Mary Jo, Mary Jo. And she goes, I'm not Mary Jo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I guess I just, I err on the side a little more of being extra private just for some of those kind of more safety reasons um, than, yeah, than yeah. maybe I would if I were a guy. No, it, it makes complete sense because it is a bit of a weird world out there. It is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the the weirdest one, though, for me, this this was kind of scary, actually. I, like, this was a couple of years ago. I was walking towards, um, <laughs> towards Herald Square, and it was snowing. And so I kind of had my head down. And all of a sudden, I thought I heard somebody say my name. And I'm, like, looking around, and I'm like, did somebody just say my name? All of a sudden, I see this giant guy. He looked like the abominable snowman. He came running towards me, full full on. And I'm like, he's going to knock me down. Okay. And I braced myself. <laughs> and and he came, and he gave me this huge bear hug. And he's like, I love Windows Weekly. And then he just ran off. <laughs> I love Windows Weekly, too. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> scary guy so to my next question would be um as you interview um let's say a high value per persona um and you know that you've got limited time with them and i think this goes back to the interview with bill mm -hmm. gates how do you create the engagement um in order to get the maximum use of your time or get them to sort of open up and spend more time with you i mean i'm sure us it's nice it's informal we can talk but when you've only got 15 minutes with somebody yeah. how do you how do you make it useful how do you choose which questions I know. To ask? so <laughs> the first the thing i would advise anybody who has very limited time with somebody who's a big deal is prepare i have seen other journalists go in to interviews with Gates and Balmer and Nadella, and they walk in and they start talking to them. I'm like, did you even like think of questions in advance? Or are you just winging it? <laughs> and it's kind of surprising wow. to me. I'm like, I would never go in there winging it, right? Especially if I've got 15 minutes or 20 minutes. I'm I, what I do is I I well I used to do this on paper. Now I do it on in a um, notepad, but. Um, I used to sit there and take out a legal sized piece of paper and write down like every possible question I could ask the person. And then I'd start crossing off. Okay, this one not as important. Then I get like my 10 top ones. And I'd be like, okay, 10, break it down to five, because I've got 20 minutes, right. And I would, I would really hone it and think about the ordering of the questions and like, what was the best segue from this question to that question. I really, really do my homework. Like that's something else people will say. They're like, wow, you, you did your homework. And I'm always like, don't, doesn't everybody, <laughs> you know, but people don't. And so I never assume I'm going to get more time with somebody. And in fact, I don't think I ever have. Like if they say Steve's got 10 minutes, it's 10 minutes, you know, <laughs> and even if he wants to make it longer, his handler will be there looking at his watch like, nope, you know, so I just say, you got to be prepared you got to try to keep the person um, on track. Uh, sometimes they go off on these tangents and it's like you see them doing it and you have to kind of steer them back, right? Um, like, okay, I know you want to talk about like, you know, saving the world and empowering every person on the planet, but how about Windows Mobile? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so sometimes you have to kind of grab the wheel out of their hand and forcibly turn it to get them to stay on message. Um but that it works, you know, it, and I think they I think they like it that you go in, you respect their time. You're not just like, hey, how was your weekend? You know, like I see people do that, too. I'm like, really? You're going to waste like five minutes talking about golf or whatever? OK, you know, 
Wow. So yeah, that's that's my advice. And how many how many times have they told you to keep quiet, like where they didn't want to answer yeah. a question or they were like, uh, no, let's not go there. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'll I do what probably every journalist does. I'll try to come back to it, like slightly reword it, and if they won't answer it, I'll just say okay, because. I don't waste a lot of time like trying to trick them into answering stuff. I'm like, you know what? You you that's a good sign to me. You don't want to say. So I'm going to go after we're done with this, go find out because you're hiding something and I'm going to, I will find out. <laughs> that's it. I don't I don't try I see people like badgering people like, "What about no, you why won't you answer that?" blah blah blah. No, that doesn't work, you know. To me it doesn't anyway. And then when it comes to building an emotional bridge with your subject. Mm-hmm relating to them um as opposed to not just being somebody who's there to ask them some questions yeah you know um i suppose that also comes back to being prepared it does and to be and being engaged too like i've i've had interviews with a few people at microsoft who after the interview is over they'll say to me that was a really enjoyable conversation you actually seemed interested in what i had to say oh well i'm like wow like do people go in and just like ask questions and like push their pen around on a piece of paper? I'm like, no, if I'm talking to Mark Rasinovich and I got half hour with the guy and I'm going to be engaged, I, I want to know what you're talking about and, and not to be afraid to ask if you don't, right? Like Mark Rasinovich, I remember the first time I got to interview him, I'm like, what the heck am I going to ask Mark Rasinovich, <laughs> right? I'm like, so what did you? So, um, you know what, you know what the key was? The key is to go simple, Right. Don't try. Like I see some journalists trying to impress the person they're interviewing with how much they know. Guys, they know more than you. They're going to win. Right. (laughs) And and, and so I just go in simple. I remember I said to him one time, like, okay, so you guys have been doing platform as a service for a while, but it doesn't seem to be grabbing hold. Like what's next? Like whipped out a piece of paper and started drawing this architectural diagram. And the PR person across from him was like, no, no, no. <laughs> and and I'm, I, I just, I put my hand up and I'm like, just keep drawing, keep drawing. <laughs> and I'm like, what's this box? What's, what's that thing you just drew? And he's like, oh, okay, you know what? You should go look up, blah, and blah. So when the interview ended and I walked out, the PR person came after me and was like, I'm begging you. I am begging you. Do not do this. And I'm like, sorry, that was on the record. Oh, no. Wow. Um, so, you know, if I hadn't wow. been engaged, though, and he started drawing, I like him be like, oh, yeah, that's a nice picture, whatever. I don't know what you're talking about. Right. But I was like, wait, what are you what are you showing me here? And he was drawing all the stuff about um, service fabric and microservices at the time. Wow. Yeah. Stunning. I was like, wait, are you telling me what I think you're telling me? <laughs> and afterwards, I was like, wow, wow OK, I'm, I'm off. I'm running out here to go write a story, you know. <laughs> And they've open sourced. They've open sourced. I know. Now. So they've open sourced. Service crazy, fabric, right? Is, yeah, it's yeah, crazy. <laughs> awesome. Yep. Yeah. So that's my advice. I think just just like care, you know, like like listen to the person talking. They are really passionate, hopefully, about what they're working on. And if if they mm. are, you should be able to capture some of that excitement from them and be yeah, excited. You, you took the words out my mouth. Yeah. They're all very very passionate people. Yeah. That's why the work is so good. Right. I mean, it's it's funny. Like even the most quote boring topic can be interesting if if you start to grasp why they're doing it and what they hope to get out of it. Hmm. So you started in print, mm-hmm. and then you you kind of stayed in print, but you moved to electronic print. So you you moved to blogs. You started podcasting, mm-hmm. and you are now 
in an established field with reporters doing pretty much the same thing. And reporters, their blog, their podcast, as part of how to disseminate what they're doing. Except that you guys all get paid to do what you do. Mm -hmm. Now, talking to someone who's looking at what you're doing and is potentially maintaining a blog, is already sharing stuff, is maybe got a podcast going, what do you say to someone that wants to know, how do I do what you do, mm -hmm. but how do I monetize and or how do I earn a living out of doing what you're doing when there's so much information mm. available for free? Yep. <laughs> First of all, I'd say anybody who's going into journalism now, don't. <laughs> really? No. I, you know, I can't totally discourage people because I still love the field myself. But it's getting, mm -hmm. real, like you just said, it's getting harder and harder and harder, right? <laughs> like when I started, mm -hmm. it, it was pretty wide open field, you know, and it's it's getting really competitive now um, just because people see hey I have some knowledge and I, I could do it better and so my, my mm -hmm. advice to people when they say they really want to do it is okay you know what you should do you should specialize and I know there are a lot of people who think oh it's better to know a lot about a lot of things but I think if you're really good at one thing um, or even two things you know and you get known for it that's going to help you more so mm -hmm. when I first specialized in Microsoft, people were like, Microsoft, like why, right? Like, what, isn't that boring? Like, it's only one company. I'm like, guys, it's one company that does everything pretty much. Like, wow. I mean, yeah. so I, I feel like I was lucky to get to specialize in that because now there are so many people who cover Microsoft. It's like, yeah, so that's not so special anymore. But I, I feel like if you have an area that you're really good at or really care a lot about, uh, like one of my friends is really into blockchain right now. And he's like, I just want to be Mr. Blockchain. And I'm like, you know what? Mm -hmm. You should do that. Because if you're good at it and and you start getting quoted and people start noticing your blog or they're like, oh, this guy's smart about blockchain, you know, let's ask him mm -hmm. to speak. Let's let's get him to be doing a guest stint on our podcast. Then it's like, this is the blockchain guy, right? And I feel I feel like you can specialize that way still. I feel like there's enough in technology that's so widespread and diverse that there's room for people to still be the expert for example i was thinking about this last week who is all about amazon or all about aws is there a person yeah because if there is i don't know who it is and mm -hmm. i'm like wow that just seems like wide open to me like somebody whose whole specialty is amazon in the cloud right and mm -hmm. I even looked up the domain name. I'm like, does someone own all about Amazon? Yeah, Amazon owns it. Um, <laughs> oh wow! I think Amazon. Wow. I think Amazon owns it, and somebody else owns all about AWS. But I'm like, you know, I, I just feel like there's room for people to do the still the one company thing when a company is really exciting, like Tesla. I think, you know. Oh yeah. I mean, there is somebody out there who wrote a book about Tesla who's a journalist. But, you know, like, I feel like there's room to specialize in these areas where you become the expert, and so. The other way you become the expert is you get known to the people who are, are around you in that profession. So if you're just starting out as a Microsoft blogger, you better reach out to all of us who cover Microsoft, right? And and try yeah. to work with us. Like, hey, I, I you know, I, I just wrote this blog post that you might find interesting. I don't I don't get annoyed when people do that. I'm like, good for you. You're promoting yourself, right? Um mm -hmm. Or they'll weigh in in comments on Twitter about something. We'll be debating something and they'll come in and be like, you know what? 
um, not in a rude way, but just like, hey, did you guys think about this? Like, look at this. I found this. I found this picture, uh, you know, and I'm like, you know what? Once somebody does that, they show up in your radar screen and then you're like, wait, let me go find that guy. Let me follow him on Twitter. Let me um, mm. let me send him an email or tweet to him or DM, you know, and find out who is this guy? Why does he know all this stuff? You know, <laughs> and so I, I feel like you can get known, but you just have to be a little more um, proactive about it, but not in an annoying way. If you're annoyingly proactive, then I just block you on Twitter. Write down notes. I think the question you've just answered is how do you build a great brand? But you haven't yet shared how do you pay the bills with your brand? <laughs> yeah, which is getting harder and harder to do too. Um, mm. I know, you know, because free, back, back not that long ago, it used to be pretty lucrative to be a freelancer. You could make a yeah. lot of money writing articles, doing white papers, um, you know, doing studies, uh, and and you get paid enough to make it your day job. Now that's getting a lot harder because there are more people who are willing to do it for a lot less money. So mm -hmm. for me, the way I do it is I diversified. So I, even though mm -hmm. All About Microsoft is my main site and I do most of my stuff there, I still do write for other sites on occasion. Um, mm -hmm. I... I get money through podcasting. You know, Twit does pay us as the hosts on our shows. Um, mm -hmm. I speak publicly, and when I do, I ask for money for it. I know there are a lot of people mm -hmm. who do it for the, quote, exposure. But I always mm -hmm. say to them, you know, if it's a Microsoft show, I don't think I need the exposure. I need the money. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So I, I think, you know, just being persistent, but not, again, not in a harsh way, uh, that you need to get paid for doing what you do and your time. I think I think it's um, if you're somebody who can juggle a lot of things and kind of pull them all together and, and try to make a living out of it, that's that's what I would advise you to do. Is but don't put all your eggs in one basket because, as we've seen with a lot of internet pubs, they they go out of business fast and you, there's not a lot of warning mm. usually. <laughs> and as you've said, you need to have a reason to be known why someone wants to hear what you've got to say. Yeah. Yep, I know. And then I think that that also uh, goes into the next question that I had was about how much information that there actually is out there as well, and how do you absorb it all? How do you choose what to absorb, what not to absorb? I mean, because there's so much yeah. all the time. How do you how do you deal with this flood of information mm. that is the internet? Because I can, myself, I can get lost for days reading. <laughs> And uh, just, just your site will keep me busy <laughs> yeah. for a week. <laughs> I know. How do you deal with that flood of information yep. that just hits you all the time? I know. It's a lot. What do you choose? It is. Um, so I definitely use Twitter a lot. And I use it selectively. I, I don't follow a lot of people. I follow like 800, which is a lot. But I mean, I, I, I definitely try to follow a mix of executives at companies, um, analysts, people who are developers, people who are other journalists who do a good job. And I, I kind of keep, keep up that way. I also still use RSS. I know there are a lot of people who think that's ancient technology, but I don't know how people keep up who don't because, um, you know, I am in my RSS reader. I have all Microsoft sites I, right now. I'm looking at it. I have 600 sites in my RSS reader. Wow. <laughs> um, wow. and, um, you know, I well, Twitter kind of looks like an RSS feed. It does. So I get you. It, I do. I get you. It does. Get you. But but the good thing about RSS is it catches posts sometimes that you would have missed 
on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah. I have like all the TechNet and MSDN and Azure sites. And I also have a lot of AWS sites in my um, reader. I have all the Google Cloud sites. Um, so I just kind of skim that in the morning every day. And and what I use is Newsblur. I don't know if you guys have ever used that. It's an excellent RSS reader. Um, it's paid, but it's totally worth the money. And it can be used cross-platform. Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> um, so I I'm use that a lot. Because um, I know people will say, how did you even find that? I'm like, I'm, you know, somebody tweeted it at, at like 1 a.m. my time. I would have missed that probably. Yes. So the RSS sure. reader picks up all that. And I, I also follow... Um, some sites that are like aggregation sites uh, that are helpful. There's one called Azure Notes, um, where the guy every day just like goes through all the different places in Azure where they bubble up news and like lists all the things that are new. Even if it's like an incremental feature or something, he'll he'll put it out there. And I'm like, that's super helpful because you guys know. like There are so many. How, how many and Azure announcements are there every day, right? <laughs> Lots. I think I think that on average is two to three. I know. So I, you can't keep yeah. up with that. And there's a guy who does that for Office 365 too. Weekly, he does a scrape of like, here's everything they added to the roadmap last week. I'm like, thank God for that guy. You know. Wow. Um, so I yeah I do I do that kind of stuff just to try to keep up. Um, I go to conferences. I do a lot of reading. Um, so yeah, I I just try to kind of. It's a scattershot approach, but what else can you do? Because like you said, there's so much, you know. Exactly. Spe- speaking of reading, uh, moving moving from you to Microsoft, uh, Sacha's book. <laughs> <laughs> you said you, you said that you didn't like Sacha Nadella's book too much. Why? Um, so I think that. I think the story behind his book is very impressive and interesting. Like if this was just a book about his life, I would have found it more um, kind of to the point, right? I mean, I, I think it's interesting how the guy ended up coming to the U.S., you know, how he struggled with family issues, how that's made him more determined about providing things like accessibility. I mean, like I said in my review of his book, who can be against the stuff he's for? Who's against accessibility sure. and diversity? Come on, you know? <laughs> yeah. But the part I didn't like was I felt I felt like a lot of things were kind of um, retrofitted to fit the story, right? Like, oh, yeah. because he was supportive of X, that's why Microsoft did Y. And I'm like, no, that isn't why Microsoft did it, right? Um, I guess I know enough about the history of how some of the decisions were made that I was like, eh, not, not exactly. That's not really true, you know? And I don't, I'm not saying he was a liar. I'm saying books written by committee, like like all these kind of CEO books are, you know, they have a storyline and they want to make the story fit the line. So it, you know, if you, if you want to read it to learn about Satya Nadella and understand his, his kind of uh, psychological makeup, I think it's a good book. But I think if you're looking at it as uh, a blueprint for why Microsoft made some of the decisions they did recently, I don't think it's as good. Got you. So talking about that history and the things that, that you've seen, and to, to go back to the, the honest theme, mm-hmm. we, gosh, I, I remember starting off when M- Microsoft was this thing, and this was back in the Novell Netware days when uh, Netware still marketed against the evil Bill Gates, and I thought, that's not going to last, and then it didn't, and NT kind of took over the world. But NT and, and Microsoft seems to have started in the garage and not in the enterprise, then 
they discovered the world of servers and I think that became mainstream with NT. Mm -hmm. They were a little bit late on the internet, but then they decided to own all things cloud. However, it seems a little bit confusing because now it seems to be the year of AI. <laughs> and, and my question is, Microsoft has changed over the years dramatically and sometimes radically. And the Microsoft that we knew 15 years ago isn't around anymore. Mm -hmm. So in your opinion, is that change driven by Microsoft leading and innovating or is it technologically speaking, keeping up with the Joneses? Mm. Um, I think it's a mix of those two things. You know, I, I say this a lot on Windows Weekly too. I feel like Microsoft gets this bum rap of always being the fast follower or sometimes the slow follower of, of all things tech. Yeah. But if you actually look back, Microsoft more often than not is too early out of the gate with stuff and then they drop the ball. And I, I feel like, mm. like here's an example, Cortana, right? Um, yes. Okay, they were yeah. pretty out there um, like with a nice lead when they started building out Cortana. And I was like, wow, micro look at Microsoft, huh? They're, they're doing pretty well. And then Alexa starts to game Steam and just steamrolls Cortana, like completely gone, right? I mean, look at what just happened at CES. All the announcements mm. around digital assistants were, were around Google and Amazon and almost nothing from Microsoft. And you're just like, wait, you guys kind of were out there early with Windows Phone and Cortana, like what the heck happened, you know? <laughs> I don't know. What do you think happened? Do you think it was a focus thing or why do you think there was a ball drop? I, I am really curious what happened. Um, I know they started getting late on some of the projects they had. Like their SDK came out several months later than um, they thought it would. And then they were looking for people to build skills and it wasn't really catching on. Like somebody said to me recently, they're like, it's like Windows Mobile all over again. Um, they, yeah. you know, it's like, they got the idea, they got the, the thought, okay, we need developers, we need apps, and then nobody comes because they're over there building for the other two platforms that are taking over. And mm. it's just like, oh, guys, especially on consumer stuff, it's it's like you you just watch them and you're just like, oh, you know? <laughs> like It happened with Bing as well. I know. Um, Although... You think about it, Bing was, Bing was a pretty advanced search engine for its day, and yeah. it, just, it just never took off. Although, sure. I, on Bing, I will say... I don't think it's it's it did what Microsoft was hoping as a web search engine. Like it's kind of parked there sure. around 25% of mm. the market compared to Google with all the rest. But what they did get with Bing was developing all the underlying technology and exactly. they needed it for all the other things they did, like the graph and all, all of that stuff. Like they yeah. couldn't have done it without Bing. So I don't think exactly. Bing was a wasted thing, but I think it just didn't take the, the route that they had hoped originally with, with it. So... You know, I, I think I think the place where they've done better than I thought, and I, I'm kind of surprised, is the cloud, because uh, mm -hmm. Amazon was so far ahead and still is so far ahead. I, I was just like, oh, Microsoft's never going to catch up. But then they became like pretty much the recognized number two player in the cloud. They're still ahead mm -hmm. of Google. I mean, as far as if you, the breadth of mm. offerings, um, even though Google's yeah. like at the mind share in Silicon Valley more than Microsoft does. If you actually look at how many data centers are there, what kind of services are available, especially to enterprise and developer, I think Microsoft's edged out Google there. Um, so I, I think they've been pretty good there. Um, 
on AI, I agree with you. It's kind of like the buzzword du jour now. And um, yeah, everybody's there. Everybody has a play. Um, you know, that go, a play that goes beyond just digital assistance. There's actually things like machine learning services and predictive analytics and all that kind of stuff where Microsoft mm -hmm. actually has a lot of expertise. So, mm -hmm. you know, what, what's going to be the thing that follows AI? I don't know. They're already talking up quantum, right? <laughs> quantum, yeah. quantum, quantum computing yeah. and have a cloud quantum, quantum. Cloud quantum. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think as a tech company these days, you always have to have a mix of being where your where your bread and butter customers are, but also looking ahead and showing people that you have a vision for the future. And you can't just say, oh, yeah, we've got a quantum thing, too. You actually have to have things yes. that are demonstrable. Um, so, yeah, I think I think they're doing what they need to do to to impress. I mean, look at their stock price right now. If you go by that ninety five dollars today, mm. um, just yeah, it's amazing. I know just a couple of years ago, they couldn't they couldn't get past twenty five. Right. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, so. But Mary Jo, do you think that's because Microsoft is good at enterprise, but they are not responsive enough to be in consumer? Yes, I do. And I, I think they're a little delusional and continuing to insist they aren't going to abandon the consumer market and that you need to be in both places. You shouldn't do just enterprise. Guys, you are IBM, but embrace it. It's okay to be IBM, yeah. you know? Yeah, we just. But they're a different kind of IBM. I know. I mean, I get that they want to make sure that people like them in in the home, and that you know they are definitely sticking around with Xbox, and they have that whole consumer brand around Xbox. Um, they aren't abandoning that anytime soon that I can see. So um, it's it's just it's hard because they where they're making all their money and where they're successful and where they have the most expertise is in enterprise, but they don't want to mm -hmm. give up completely being in the consumer space, but th that's the expertise of Google and Apple and Amazon right now. So I think, I think they just need to kind of admit it. Why do you <laughs> think that's not happening? Um, I think it's because they still have products and technologies that span both. Like, can you really say Windows is enterprise? You can't, no, right? No, it's not purely right. enterprise. And can you really even say like developer tools are just enterprise? Not really, because they're mm. startups and they're, you know, even home programmers and people who do coding around Minecraft, they're, they're developers too. And gaming. I know. Gaming in general. Right? Um, most, yeah, ga yeah, gaming PCs are gaming PCs. I know. They're not uh, gaming Macs. Exactly. So I, I think they, mm. they are reticent to just say, okay, we're out of consumer. You know, even if I think if they did that, their mm. stock price would go through the roof because that's what Wall Street wants to hear, I think. Um, yeah. But I think they they still have that idea that a lot of people do that all the cool and interesting technologies happen in consumer and then morph over to enterprise. So they don't want to totally get out of the consumer space because they feel like then they'll be behind. Okay. I think also another thing that we can, so I, I've noticed this primarily under Nadella's leadership is the open the openness to other vendors mm -hmm. and the openness to partnerships and things like that. So if you look at Azure now has embraced TomTom yeah. um, as, its, as its primary mapping source and where it gets all of its mapping information from. And then they decided and they went and they partnered with the likes of Red Hat and those kinds of things. Um, I see that's happened under, under Nadella, and I see that, do you think this is a single vision of his? Uh, do you think it's an extended vision? 
Um, do you think everybody, I mean, how do the PGs sort of relate to, to, to Nadella and do they have the freedom that maybe they didn't have underneath Balmer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who would be your favorite Microsoft? <laughs> uh, that's like asking someone to pick their favorite child, isn't it? <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. Well, then maybe we should split it off. Say, um, I don't know, who's your favorite cloud guy? Who's your favorite <laughs> office guy? <laughs> okay. So let me let me do the partnership thing first, because um, yeah. I do think that is something that Satya Nadella brought to Microsoft. He should get the credit for this. Actually, Peggy Johnson, who he hired as the um, lead on on strategic business deals, is the one who's doing the talking in a lot of these things. But yeah. I feel like Microsoft went from under Balmer being everyone's our enemy and we're circling the wagons to now everyone's our friend and we're open to everything, right? So it's almost too much with the partnership stuff. I mean, I think it's good for customers. Like finally, Microsoft and Red Hat working together to get, you know, Red Hat Linux on Azure. Finally, my gosh, how long how long did that take? Um, you know, the Adobe partnership, um, they're, they're doing a lot of interesting things around that. And I think they're real partnerships and it's, it's refreshing and surprising. It's very different from how the old Microsoft was done. And I think now if you went to the Microsoft senior leadership team and said, you know what, how about if we partner with Salesforce? I don't think people would laugh. I, I, they'd be like, okay, Benioff's been seeing a lot of crap lately, but you know what, we need to work with them for our Dynamics customers. So I think I think it's good, um, and I think it's very different. Uh, it gives the company a very different feel. It's it's interesting to cover them now because in the old days I could kind of predict what was going to happen. I'd be like, "Oh, here comes so and so. Watch, Microsoft's going to go right after them and try to crush them." And now you're like, "Wait, they're playing nice with Oracle? What?" <laughs> so it, it makes it a little different and challenging to get your head around the new Microsoft on the partnering side. Um, so if you had to compare the compare the leadership now? Yeah, so between Gates, Balmer, yeah. and Nadella. So I actually did interview all three of the CEOs um, at Microsoft. But so awesome. you know what's hard is is I interviewed them at very different times in my career and their careers, right? So when I interviewed Bill Gates, <clears throat> I was really new and green and he was a jerk. Um <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like when I tell people that now who know him as, you know, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation out to save the world, you know, doing all these amazing things that I totally am on board with. It's like, wait, you just called Bill Gates a jerk. I'm like, well, in the early 80s and 90s, the guy was a total jerk. And he, he, I mean, he was really not just rough on on reporters, but rough on the people who worked at Microsoft and you know, belittling people, and it, it wasn't a nice guy. And you know what? That's why the company mm. grew and was successful, because he was, he was a hard ass, if I can say that on the podcast. Um, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can. Um, you know, so the Bill Gates of now, and who kind of went through charm school and is a whole different person, and the Bill Gates of the original Microsoft were very different. So I know the old Bill Gates, and that's kind of how I think of Gates, right? Like, being a hard-charging, tough guy. I mean, he used to yell at me all the time when I was first on the beat. Like, he'd see me at trade shows and he'd yell at me. <laughs> he, no. Yeah, he would yell at me wow. across the room. Right? <laughs> he'd be like, Foley, hold on. Don't go anywhere. I want to talk to you about that article you wrote last week. I was like, oh, boy, here we go. Wow. Okay. Um, 
So Steve Ballmer then comes in and, you know, he is known as a yeller from everybody who's worked there, like always yelling at people and yelling out loud. And, you know, the old story about him throwing chairs and such. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked Steve Ballmer. I got along with Steve Ballmer. Unfortunately, I was banned for almost 20 years from talking to Steve Ballmer. <laughs> Um, (laughs) so I used to get him a lot at the beginning when I was covering Microsoft and then they cut my access off to him completely, except that whenever he would see me at a show or an event, he would come over and talk to me and the PR people would have a fit. Um, yeah, but you know, I, I used to always say like, what did I do that I got banned from talking to Steve Ballmer? And one person said, you know, too much. They don't want you talking to him because he'll tell you stuff. Um, so the good part was I did get to talk to him at the end. I got I got a couple of interviews with him as he was leaving as CEO. So that was pretty cool that I, I in fact, got the last interview with him as CEO at Microsoft, which was fitting and wow. fun. Um, and kind of the first interview with his success. It was, which I didn't know at the time when I was interview- I was doing the whole piece on Balmer leaving. Um, I did interview Nadella as part of that. And. I didn't know that they were leaning towards him as being the CEO at the time. So that was that was kind of interesting. But did you suspect? Um, I didn't, actually. I really didn't think he was really? going to get it. No. Um, I thought they were going to go with Alan Mulcahy. Um, I thought they were going to go with an outsider because everybody kept saying they need an outsider. Um, I remember you saying yeah. that, yes. Uh, but, I mean, Alan Mulally, uh, um, yeah, who, who uh, was working with them a little bit and worked for Ford. But I had interviewed Nadella um, many times before he became CEO, like when he was working on different parts of the business back in the early days before Dynamics was Dynamics. And then when he was heading up Azure, like I had interviewed him in, in all those different roles. So I knew him already when he came in. Mm-hmm. And he's a really he's a really thoughtful guy. And he's he, what's interesting when you interview Satya Nadella is he actually listens to what you ask. Which sounds, mm. it sounds funny to say that, but, you know, a, lo- a lot of high level people, when you ask them a question, they have all these canned answers and they just are ready to give you the canned yes. answer, right? He would like, listen to your yes. question, sit back, think about it and actually answer the question. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, this guy's actually listening to the questions and giving answers. This is different. Um, wow. So yeah, I've, I've only gotten to interview Nadella once since he's been CEO, but I would like, love to interview him again. And was he different before he was CEO in terms of interacting with you than he was after? Totally different. Um, and yeah. I think the reason is, you know, when before when you'd interview him when he was in, you know, roles where he was running a product group or a business, he was very technical. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, he would get mm-hmm. into the like nuts and bolts of how things worked and explain at like the API level what was going on. And I'm like, wow, I love this guy. He's amazing. And, but now, yeah. because he sees his role, I think, as the guy instilling the culture for the company, he sees that as really important as as being the CEO. He wants to talk about things at a much higher level. You know, he has slogans now and he has he has mission statements. And if you try to talk to him about like, so what about that thing you're doing with Azure? It's like, eh, that's not really for him. That's for somebody yeah. else. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. We've seen Microsoft make some massive technology bets, and sometimes they've won really big, and sometimes it's been a yeah. meh. But we we celebrate the ones that have been really big. 
and that have succeeded and, and sometimes literally changed the face mm -hmm. of the industry. And I see, I see a lot of the advances that are happening in Azure are advances that are happening at a, at a pace that I don't see other vendors necessarily being able to Like to what's meet. an example where you, what you would cite there? Oh, so I think Microsoft is, is the only vendor with a decent hybrid mm, yep. infrastructure story. Agree. <laughs> and we could bore you to tears around what does that mean mm -hmm. from a networking point of view? And there's been amazing advances when we talk about things like um, how we can peer networks in one data center to another data center across the world and it just looks like a single network and you don't you don't have to know or care where stuff mm -hmm. is it it just works and the amount of glue in the back end to get that kind of thing to work mm -hmm. is just amazing but that's not a technology bet i think that's more of a maturing in technology and and microsoft could have been in my opinion very much like all of the other cloud vendors that have built something that you move towards as opposed to taking a technology bet that says you mm -hmm. are able to leave Azure. If you want to leave, you can take your data and you can go. You can export it, you can download your virtual machine, you can import into Hyper-V or VMware, you can go back to on-premises. That's much more difficult than the other vendors make it able mm -hmm. to do in their public clouds. Unless, of course, you're running a an end-to-end -end stack like VMware and you've partnered with a uh, a smaller cloud provider and you've you've got the ability to, to drag and drop your vms around the world if they've made that mm -hmm. that kind mm -hmm. of thing available so to turn this back around to you what technology bets do you see microsoft making at the moment that you think could change the face of the company and bear in mind there could be a number of faces that come out of various different bets like Microsoft could be the AI company or the Xbox company or the insert mm -hmm, mm -hmm. dot 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 yeah yeah th these these big like what's next things are always hard with Microsoft because like I, uh, like I was saying before I felt like I really had a better feel for predicting where they were going when they were kind of hating everyone <laughs> and when everybody was the enemy um, <laughs> yeah. and now I'm just like you know things I things that they do now sometimes um, that they say are for the good of the customer some of them are so for the good of the customer you're kind of stunned like really you're doing that Wow, huh? <laughs> um, like a lot of the open sourcing work they're doing, things they—they're open sourcing things. I'm like, okay, what's next? They're going to open source Windows? I mean, like, <laughs> you know, it's like nothing's yeah. impossible anymore. Who I know. Knows? I mean, Who remember, knows? it wasn't that long ago. Mark Rusinovich joked about, you know, we could even make our own variant of Linux, and I'm like, you know what? They could. <laughs> I mean, they have, they kind of have yes. one with some of the stuff they're doing around the open compute project. They don't market it as like Microsoft Linux, but um, nothing's impossible anymore for them. Like nothing's, I don't think anything's off the table. And so this, this makes this question tough because I, you know, I don't, I don't think we're going to see Microsoft, the AI company, you know, I, I think. I think AI, everybody's going to do their AI stuff and then we're going to jump to a new buzzword uh, and a new kind of flavor of the month in, in a couple of years, probably, you know, for a while they were doing Microsoft, the digital transformation company. And I'm like, if I hear that word one more time, I'm going to jump out the window. <laughs> um, 
me uh, too. Oh, me man, too. I'm just like, really? <laughs> so. Yeah, as a Microsoft I know. Partner, and I and a lot. I get, oh, I get it. It's like, yeah, you're selling them a vision of technology where you want them to retrofit everything and, and kind of go from the ground up. That's good. But it's it's you're still selling them technology at the end of the day. It's just you're selling technology. <laughs> um, yeah. So, mm. you know, I, just as far as like, is it going to be quantum? Is it going to be this? Is it going to be that? Um I don't I don't think it is. You know, I what I do think they're they're figuring out that I like seeing them figure out is that Azure isn't just something you sell to customers, but it's something you use yourself. And they've hinted that yeah. in a couple years we could even see something like gaming from Microsoft streamed over Azure. And you know, it's like interesting to see them finally use their own technology and and use it to kind of harness the good of their own products. I mean, Office 365, the core of it doesn't mm -hmm. still run on Azure. They still say someday it will. Um, but, you know, it, mm -hmm. it's just, it's interesting to see them kind of taking lessons they are learning as being a top cloud vendor and then bringing them to their, their own technologies and kind of extending that out to customers. So I I think that's a real positive. The other, the other yeah. technology I think I don't fully understand because I'm not technical enough, but but I think it's a huge deal is the Microsoft graph and um, everybody we mm. talk to, um, you know, they're starting to figure out like, Oh, like this is the, I, I don't want to say the graph is the new operating system. Cause that's kind of oversimplifying things, but everything's hooking into the Microsoft graph now. And uh, everybody's building into the graph APIs from, from the windows group to office to dynamics, everyone's using this. And, if they really can make this the Uber Microsoft API and then even bring LinkedIn to it, I'm like, okay, this this actually could be a huge deal because instead of having all these silos of technology, they could actually have all their product lines work together at some very fundamental level, which is kind of the holy grail of, of all technology in a way. So I'm not giving you concrete yeah, they've already moved. They've already moved off. They've already moved. They're they're they're, they're moving Active Directory and authentication right. into Graph. So I I agree with you. I yeah. do see it being the, the the mother of all APIs. And I think something that Microsoft has really done uh, the the past couple of years is use use what yes. they sell, yep. or at least um, their deployment methodologies now that they've been using. So Visual Studio yep. Team Services they mm -hmm. use themselves. And so they're able to, they've, they went and they adopted a development operations. They, de they adopted DevOps yep. in every way mm -hmm. that they could. And now you can see that their release cycles are much better. Their, their communications to customers are mm -hmm. much better. Their fixing of bugs mm -hmm. is much better. So if we had to f flip the question around for you, so instead of the technology bets that they would make, if you had to look into your crystal ball and say, what would Microsoft look like in five, 10 years time? Would it be much different than it is now? Oh boy, these questions. These are tough, right? <laughs> um, yeah, that's the last I one, know, I promise. Right? That's why they're for so you. So the part of the business I'm the most interested to see what happens to in five to 10 years is Windows. Um, and the reason mm. I say that is I feel like Microsoft's done a pretty decent job of trying to pull Windows along as they've expanded into the cloud uh, you know they've got a really huge business in office around office 365 they've got a huge business around azure and all the cloud properties and and services on azure and then they've got windows right and windows is their legacy 
they still make the majority of their revenue from windows, but how long can that go on? Um, so that's the part of the business I'm always like, okay, they, you know, doing the whole windows as a service thing that they did with windows 10 was kind of ingenious. Um, it's kind of pulling windows along with the rest of the business and making it almost like a subscription slash cloud business. Uh, but how long can they do it? And how long will customers continue to bet on Windows as a thing? Um, you know, I, I'm curious how much missing the mobile boat for them is going to hurt them. Uh, you know, they keep saying, oh, but, you know, we're already looking past smartphones. Like, there's going to be something that's beyond that. And I guess they mean HoloLens or, and the successor to the HoloLens. But I feel like, can they do it? Can they jump from being the, the Windows company to a company where Windows is a really small part of their business and do it in a, in a way that they continue to remain as big and successful as they are right now. Uh, so for me, Windows is kind of like the outlier here. <laughs> I get like, I'm like, I get what they're, I get what they're doing with Azure, got what they're doing with Office 365, Dynamics, got that, okay. And then Windows. And they're, they're trying to almost position it right now and figure out like, okay, what do people still use PCs for? Because that's our stronghold, Windows on PCs. And so they, they've come up with all these things around, you know, create uh, creators update and serve, serving the people who are, quote, creators, finding ways to, to make PCs central to that whole idea of creativity and the need to create. But how long can that go on is my question. And will the whole AR, VR stuff that they're doing just kind of be a blip or will it actually help propel them with Windows and devices into the next big thing? That's that's the part I'm like I'm watching that and I'm curious because if it, if they are successful in doing that and they'll still look a lot like they do now in in five to ten years and if they are not successful they may be a smaller and more cloud focused company than they are right now. It's interesting you didn't say anything about Windows on ARM. <laughs> oh yeah, well that's kind of implicit, right? I mean that's part of the whole can we keep Windows on PCs relevant? Mm -hmm. And so that's the other way. Like one way is you make, you find ways to make windows really big and beefy and appeal to people who need the full native experience with all the bells mm -hmm. and whistles. And then the other way you do it is because you miss the mobile boat, you try to make windows more of a mobile operating system for who they call first line workers, right? People who have tablets and PCs on the go and they need the battery life um, much more than they need all the full feature and processing power of a big Windows mm -hmm. PC. So I, I think I think they're playing both ends of that, but uh, you know, I I think I think Windows is the part of the business where a lot of a lot of Wall Street has taken their eye off Windows. They don't really care anymore. They're like, yeah, okay, they still do Windows, but what are they doing okay. in Azure, right? Um, but but I think you got, you can't just say forget Windows. It's still the biggest part of Microsoft's business revenue wise. So hmm. It, it, how they transition that and what they do to try to keep that relevant, successful, and a big piece of the uh, contribution to the company is where I'm very interested. Hmm. Mary Jo, it's been amazing having you on the show, and we, we are so grateful for the time that you spend with us. Before we let you go, is there anything that you want to promote? Is there anything you want to plug? Obviously, we want you to share where people can find you in terms of blogs, social media, anything that you want to, to shout out. Okay. Um, so thank you again for having me. It was really fun. Um, very good questions. You got me thinking on a right. lot of things. Um, 
Uh, on Twitter, I'm at Mary Jo Foley. And I, I'm pretty active on Twitter, more than I am in like comments on blogs, because I think that's where people ask real questions these days. Um, so please feel free to follow me and tweet to me. I, I'll try to tweet back. Um, I also have my main blog, allaboutmicrosoft.com, on ZDNet, where I cover enterprise topics, not so much Xbox, uh, but all other things, uh, Microsoft-related developer, enterprise, um, partnership, strategy, you name it. And I still have been doing um, a monthly column on redmondmag.com, Redmond Magazine, um, where I I do once a month kind of a think piece for them uh, on a section they have called Foley on Microsoft. So, yeah, I think that's the main places. And then I'm, I'm going to be continuing on, um, as far as I know, as co-host of Windows Weekly on Twit. And... Uh, We'll be doing a lot of meetups coming up this year at some of the big Microsoft shows. So look for us at Build and Inspire and Ignite this year. We usually do a live show and a meetup. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you, guys. It was fun. You can find me, Nicholas, on the Twitter at Nicholas Blank, as well as Facebook and LinkedIn. I blog at blankmanblog.com. And you can find me, Warren, uh, www.waza, which is my blog. Uh, I'm Twitter, at WarrenDT, and on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Thanks for listening, and we'll chat to you soon.